The automobile is one of the most important inventions that revolutionized the modern world. In America, the rich history of car culture runs deep as technology continues to shape the future of the industry. Jason Stein, former publisher of Automotive News, is here to share the stories of people passionate about cars, from industry leaders and innovators to car-obsessed celebrities. Buckle up as Jason takes you inside the boardroom, onto the track, and around the bend on Cars and Culture on Sirius XM Business Radio. Welcome to SiriusXM's Cars and Culture. I'm Jason Stein in Detroit. Do cars and winology mix? Apparently, they do very well. If you're Jeff O'Neill, they're the perfect cultural pairing. Both have a passionate following, both celebrate the great years, the vintages, and both are admired, respected, toasted, and enjoyed to their full potential. And if you are Jeff O'Neill, you know that both go so well together in an event that will most likely become a must-attend on every calendar in October. If you don't know about the Velocity Invitational, you will. O'Neill is on the cusp of something truly magical in Northern California. And Velocity, a three-day experiential, rolling, roaring car show, has the chance to set the world of autos and wine and culture and food on fire. Well, good morning and welcome to the glorious California sunshine where we are live and direct from the WeatherTech Raceway here at Laguna Seca for day two of Velocity Invitational. This was really, really cool. I mean, and the noise, the noise, I can't even, I can't even express how cool it is. Ooh, getting wide there! Velocity, by definition, has all of the ingredients to become the Goodwood of North America. It reunites the world's finest racing automobiles, preserving their history by exhibiting them as they were meant to be seen and heard, on track. It is intended to celebrate the car and the passion around the vehicle, but it also aims to incorporate the extras, the family atmosphere, the showcase of speed, the vintage models, and the atmosphere. Jeff O'Neill, though, has another mission. He wants to teach current and future gearheads about the cars that appear at Velocity Invitational, not just in a park and show setting, which can detract from the true spirit of rolling automotive art and history. He wants the great cars and the great collectors, so, as he says, the public can see them, hear them, and watch them. It's not just about walking through a museum. Located at the WeatherTech Raceway Laguna Seca near Monterey, it's a weekend full of cars and culture. And O'Neill, a winemaker at one of the fastest growing labels in California, is at the center of it all. Founded in 2004, O'Neill Vintners and Distillers is the 10th largest winery in the United States. Recently, Jeff was nominated for Wine Enthusiast Person of the Year Wine Star Award. But on cars, he's just pursuing a passion. He loves them, and he also equally loves the spirit around vehicles. And this weekend, some of the finest vintage race cars, street cars, and modern hypercars will assemble for the third of what has become an annual event, drawing vehicles and prominent figures from around the world. And they're not simply eye candy. Although some cars will be on display only, most take to the track for all three days. For many, this has become a must-attend on the calendar that will only grow larger. Today, because no great story started with water, our show focuses on the story of velocity and wine. Jeff O'Neill is my guest. Culture is the topic. I'm Jeff O'Neill on Cars and Culture with Jason Stein. It's not often on this program that we get the chance to combine culture and cars so beautifully and so perfectly. And when you talk to Jeff O'Neill, of course, you can talk about cars, which we will. But I wanted to talk about wine for a minute, because on September 14th, the O'Neill Vintners and Distillers, a certified B corporation, was 
announced it was announced that you had been nominated for Wine Enthusiast Person of the Year Wine Star Award. Now, that's just got to be a pinnacle achievement, right, Jeff? Well, it's certainly fun. I mean, it's a great honor. Um, but I will tell you, the the kudos go to my team. Um, you know, the the part of the reason we were picked by Wine Enthusiast. Uh, largely because a lot of the initiatives we have around sustainability um, and and the B Corp certification uh, layered on top of all of that. Um, I just feel like we have an obligation as a company, uh, as individuals to uh, A, take care of the uh, environment around us, whether it's the soil, the people, um, wages, uh, fairness. Um, we just, uh, it's, it's just part of our culture. Part of your culture and the culture that you've helped to create, but you were—I I read an article that said that you—you you said that you'd been drinking and smoking cigars all the way through college since you turned twenty-one, and uh, the wine business was—you gravitated right toward it, right? Nineteen eighty-five. I did, I did, and uh, and I will tell you, I still uh, love uh, all of the great things in life: great food, cigars, great wines, um, spirits, cars—not necessarily in that order. <laughs> Tell me how much the wine business has meant to you. Well, it's been very important. I, I started in the early 1980s. Uh, ultimately, I was very lucky uh, with private equity partners in the early days. And then I was able to create my own company um, in 2004. So we've been very fortunate. Um, it's unique. It was a unique opportunity for me to start from scratch, uh, create the culture that we wanted. We have a line around our company, which is no drama. Mm. Uh, and uh, and taking care of each other. So that's kind of been the the culture. We got to build it from the ground up and uh, it's been a fun ride. You've got more than 300 employees now and you continue to invest in your operational capabilities in order to keep the right talent and grow the business. But one of the things that struck me, Jeff, was that you're one of the fastest growing wineries in California. You sell about, is it right? About 1.8 million nine liter cases of wine to consumers every year. Uh, we do. We do, Jason. And, um, it, you know, we really pride ourselves on bringing great wines uh, across the country and making them uh, affordable and reachable to just about everybody. So, yeah, so we have uh, facilities in the Central Valley and Paso Robles uh, and in Sonoma. So uh, we've been, as I said earlier, we've been fortunate. Um, and I think when you, A, you take care of your employees and then B, you take care of the consumer um, you know, there's not a huge amount of magic there. It, if you can over deliver on, on great wines and, um, and quality, you know, the consumer keeps coming back. I promise the listener that we will focus on cars, but just a couple of more <laughs> wine questions. Okay. This is, yeah. this is wine and culture now. Right, uh, right. But when we look at the wine business, what is it that surprised you about it? What was most challenging? Well, look, it's like a lot of businesses, it's, it's enormously competitive. Um, uh, you know, we, you know, I gave a, actually, I gave a talk yesterday to the UC Davis um, uh, business school and uh, it, it, and I called it an overnight success. It only took 40 years. Um, <laughs> we have some very, very uh, competent people in our industry. Uh, I think the, you know, what has been unique for us is we've been able to pivot as the consumers have changed their taste. They, we, we have changed uh, directions with the company, but it, but it's competitive. But we've been able to capture a larger share of the market than most everybody else on the way up. And uh, we think a lot of it's, you know, around a lot, several issues. One is culture. Uh, one is quality. 
Um, uh, uh, and, and then uh, we have this uh, kind of just a great environment of giving back. So, you know, we do a lot of uh, scholarships and we encourage education with all of our employees, whether they're a hourly worker pulling hoses that wants to become a winemaker or wants to learn about wine tasting. So we encourage everybody to continue their education at whatever level. During COVID, we all read that wine consumption and, well, frankly, alcohol consumption in general soared. Did it you see did. that? It, it, it did. Uh, fortunately, uh, the wine business was an essential business, which kept going. Uh-huh. Um, but we had our best year ever during uh, the pandemic, largely because a lot of people stayed home. They drank uh, a little bit more. They uh, consumed uh, wines uh, at the store or bought wines at the store and then consumed them at home. So, so yeah, it was, um, it, it definitely, uh, we had the wind at our back uh, uh, during COVID, which unfortunately a lot of people did not have the wind at their back. And did that surprise you? Uh, it did. It did a bit. Um, uh, but, but, you know, we're retail focused. So uh, as consumers stayed home and then shifted their buying preferences to the retail market, it, it helped us a lot. But, um, but yeah, now, though, fortunately, the world's coming back to, uh, you know, a more stabilized uh, environment. So has that changed? It, it has changed then. It's tapered off or, or it's normalized? Yeah, the the retail sales have normalized, and now people are back. You know, they're back in restaurants. So, uh, uh, you know, getting a, a reservation in a restaurant these days, fortunately, is mm-hmm. difficult to do, largely because I think people do have some disposable income. I don't think we ultimately know what the impact of the stock market will have, but um, obviously, it's a little bit unsettling out there for a lot of people. As a kid, you loved race cars. Your dad always talked about cars and. He never really owned any, which I was uh, surprised to read, but you always loved racing. You followed racing. You followed historic cars. And at a certain point, you were quoted as saying, you've got to either fish or cut bait and either get into it or not. You got into it in a huge way. Tell me a little bit about growing up in that environment and what led you to your love of vintage racing and cars. Well, I did. My dad, uh, he was he wasn't a racer. He wasn't a collector, but but he did always love cars. And he always had, for example, I have his 1959 Porsche Cabriolet, which he bought in 1959 and kept forever. And uh, it actually was in the garage for 40 years. I dragged it out for my daughter's wedding um, a couple of months ago. So he did have cars, um, but I was passionate always about going to the races. He would take as a child. He would take me to the races. We'd go see the Trans Am series. We'd see the Can Am series. I mean, you know, watching guys like Jim Hall and um, Mark Donahue and all of those guys was it was just such a thrill for me. Um, but the one thing I never thought, uh, Jason, was that I would actually have some of these cars that were my dinky toys uh, when I was a child. The first vintage car that you bought, do I have it right? A 1957 Maserati 250 F Formula One car. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's what you started with. Like, we're going to start a collection. Is, so let's start it with a Formula One car from 1957. <laughs> yeah, a lot of my friends still laugh about that one. Um, but, you know, I got to a certain age and I uh, it, it was a point I either had to get in and I had I had sort of told myself, look, if you don't have I actually had a list of cars that I thought I that I always wanted. One was a DB4, um, Zagato, um, C-Type Jag, D-Type Jag, um, four GT and a 250 uh, F Maserati, and and I started my hunt for one of those cars. I just said I have to have it, 
and I set a deadline to get one of those cars in a year. And that, I ended up the first one that I was able to get my hands on was uh, a Fangio car from uh, team car from 1957. So you also developed this enormous passion, uh, this love affair with events such as Silverstone or Goodwood and and those those, those very historic uh, events. But you felt that there was something lacking if we go back now a few years. Tell me about the uh, development and the mindset behind creating Velocity. Well, we created Velocity because there was no uh, automotive racing event in North America where you invited the amazing and great cars out of private collections and then put them on the track. There was no forum to do that. And you know, there was all kinds of historic racing in America and they, and they all exist today. And their model is a little bit different. And that is how many cars can I get on the track, which is great. It, it, everybody can participate. But I was concerned as I watched all of the great cars move into private collections and they, you know, I, a, a, a collector, you know, probably isn't going to put his car at risk if he's really worried uh, too many cars on the track, too many drivers that may or may not have the right uh, credentials. So I wanted to bring all of these great cars back and and the model's different, right? It's not about how many cars you can get on the track. It was about how do we get unbelievable quality cars and how do we give collectors confidence in bringing them to the track? So one of the things that always uh, bothered me, I didn't bother many other people, but it always bothered me was when you went to the track, you couldn't get a, you couldn't get good food. Um, uh, hmm. the, the, the paddock looked like it was, you know, everybody unpacked with a stick of dynamite. Um, and and if you were trying to educate a young person or a friend or a girlfriend or your wife, it, it was such a helter skelter mess that I said, why can't we organize this and have a wonderful event with great food, a place to relax, place to watch the races. You could bring your whole family. You could bring a five year old to an 85 year old and everybody had a great time. And there was nowhere to do that in America. So that was the. That was the beginning of the idea about the Velocity Invitational. And American Goodwood, if if I may. Yeah, look, I mean, Charles uh, March uh, uh, got it right. He got it right from the beginning. I, uh, I, I happened to be in London. I was, it was probably 18 or 19 years ago, and I read in the newspaper about this event. It was going to be the second event ever at Goodwood, and I got in the train and went down. And I was just astounded. Uh, the interest, the great cars. There was as many great historic cars in the parking lot as yeah. there were in the paddock. <laughs> yeah. And and I just said, look, these people, this is amazing. And then there was good food and everybody was having a wonderful time and there was entertainment. And and I thought, why can we not do this in the United States? And Part of the reason was it the mod the, the current model was just you know entry fees and and our model is different. It is how do we build a, a great spectator base, great cars, and then the sponsors will come. So that's the, that's the model we're trying to build. I I will tell you it is a battle. <laughs> well, you didn't you even on the profit and loss side. If you were um, if you're running a, a a vineyard, you'd say well that that for the, the first vintage didn't go so well, right? <laughs> I would say the first vintage did not go so well. Um, <laughs> the second vintage did a little bit better, but not that great. Uh, the third vintage, happened. we're going to find out. But right, right. Um, but it's a, it's uh, as you know, uh, you know, there's a lot of competition for our hearts and minds, and 
until we can really establish ourselves. So we're now in our third year. Um, you know, we do have significant momentum around it. We have a ton of sponsors. We've got McLaren and Zinger. You know, we've got all kinds of amazing supercars and historic cars. So, you know, I think I think we're we're making headway, but uh, nothing nothing is easy. I'll tell you that. We had Zach Brown on this program uh, last year, and he talked about his uh, uh, affiliation with this, how much he loved it. And Rob Dickinson, as well as a singer, has uh, obviously is a is a poster boy for the same movement. But 2019 comes around, you go to Sonoma Raceway, and you set up the Velocity Invitational, and all of a sudden, I mean, it looked great. You had white picket fences, you had the food, right? You had the setup that you really wanted. How did you improve upon that for year two? Well, look, our goal. So the first year we were lucky. We had Mercedes out, and and um, and they brought uh, what the, one of the Lewis Hamilton cars, and we ran that, and we broke the track record, um, and and we did have picket fences and green lawn and what have you. So ultimately, they, but but we also had some skeptics, some skeptics um, about you know. Should I come? Should I not come? Should I bring my cars? Is it worth, you know, digging my Ferrari GTO out or my short wheelbase or my McLaren, whatever? And and once everybody saw and and came and enjoyed the experience, you know, we kind of hooked a lot of the the great collectors, fortunately, and they've been just amazing. So the the way we expand and make it better is is we bring continue to bring great cars. Uh, we had the Mercedes 300 SLR, um, you know, the sister car to the Moss Jenkins car uh, at the show last year. It was just extraordinary. And we ran it on the track. We didn't race it, but we did run it at very high speed. Um, so every year we want to bring more and more of these great cars um, uh, out, out of collections. And whether it's a, a public collection, the Peterson's been unbelievable in, in helping us. This year we've got... Uh, the Juan Gonzalez uh, F1 collection uh, coming. Um, last year, uh, you know, uniquely, we had James Hetfield's uh, mm. collection of custom cars. So we, the whole goal here is it's really about entertainment. And it's, there's not one car that I think, you know, people walk up and say, I just came to see that car. Once you show everybody the different elements it's just so it's just fun this year we've got some amazing rally cars from uh, dirt fish and you know and they those then they will come and they'll they'll demonstrate you know five of the most historic rally cars so you know i think every year we want to continue to entertain and and i think we'll continue to do that it's it's amazing too because what you do is you provide a an education level right for the attendee and you mentioned the the young folks who are also part of uh, the program as well, or, or just family members who, who can attend. You had 7,000 people the first year. You doubled it in year two. And where will this year hit? You know, I don't know. I think, you know, we're hoping probably we hit about 13,000 uh, last year. I think we're, you know, we're hoping to, you know, improve that by 30 or 40% if we can. Um, uh, you know, but it's, it is a little hard to tell. Um, it's not sold out yet. I wish it was, uh, it's not, but, uh, but, but we're continuing to, you know, continue to develop and build and we're seeing many more sponsors come and join, uh, as well, which is really wonderful. You actually, in the first year, I want to go back to that Sonoma event. You personally, you, you had a couple of highlights, uh, a gentleman named Tom Price loaned you a 250 GTO to actually race on the track and you finished third. 
<laughs> I know I should have finished first. Uh, we should have, <laughs> I should have changed the rules since it was my race. Uh, look, yes, it was really, uh, well, Tom, first of all, Tom is one of the extraordinary car collectors ever. Um, he has a firm belief. And I think I probably learned a lot from Tom, which is people want to see these cars on the track at speed. And let's try to show everybody how they would have appeared if they were at Le Mans in 1962 or 63 and or whatever the year happens to be, whether it's a Delage from 1938. But having the privilege of, of I can't tell you the day Tom called me and he said, um, I want you to run my uh, GTO um, at speed <laughs> with anger. Uh, I, I was flattered and terrified all at the same moment. And uh, but we had a lot of fun, had a great race. Uh, and then I ran it again last year in uh, Monterey. And then Tom has asked me again to uh, drive it this year um, at our at our event. So it's just extraordinary to be able to get a spectacular car like that on the track, uh, tangling with, you know, uh, E-type Jags and, you know, Mastons and and what have you, because that's exactly what it looked like in period. What does it take for a car to qualify for the velocity imitational? The rules are pretty simple, right? They are very simple. Um, uh, but we are the, I think we are now the only race in the world uh, that has these simple rules, which is uh, the car has to be original. It has to have raced in period and it cannot have been modified out of that particular era. So it's, it's pretty, it's very, very straightforward, but you know, what we see is every race, they make an exception. Somebody's friend has a car that they created or what have you. And and we've just been very disciplined about it and said, if the car is not 100% original, now it doesn't mean it hasn't been in a wreck somewhere and rebuilt or what have you, but the car has to have uh, provenance. It doesn't have to have won Le Mans because we're, we're not trying to be uh, too exclusive, but it does have to have real race history uh, in period. And of course, the you know the more important the race, the better. There's been a lot of talk about auto shows um, changing, uh, you know, maybe even dying to some extent. And we've had some folks here on the program who've been uh, part of the teams that have assembled really large auto shows through the years. We just were back from the uh, Detroit Auto Show. But auto shows are changing in a way that, uh, or have have had to change in a way to adapt to the consumer uh, interests. And there's been a lot of talk of having more events like this, the touch and the feel and the experience, experiential. I would guess that you're at the forefront of some of that. In other parts around the world, uh, places like South Africa, there's been the Festival of Motoring that's been been put on. And of course, we know all about uh, Monterey Car Week. Is this the future of car shows? Is this is this where, you know, even just to keep the cultural aspect of the vehicle intact, things like this have to happen? Yeah, Jason, I, look, I think that that is exactly right. Um, you think about it. And and when I talk to OEMs, uh, it, the language we talk in is how do we get people in seats? How do we get them to actually see the car, see it moving, hear it? Or, or drive it. At our event last year, you could come, uh, I think we had eight uh, Porsche Taycans there, and you could actually, all you had to do was walk up, sign up, I guess you probably had to give them your driver's license, 
and an insurance card and and you could take a Porsche Taycan out on the roads of, of Monterey. So uh, we do think that's the future. Uh, we think uh, uh, car companies will want more and more people in the cars to see them, see them move, hear them. Um, and and actually, you know, be able to participate, you know, in some sort of action, <clears throat> excuse me, event with them. So, yeah, I, look, I think, you know, we haven't gotten very far with the OEMs yet because they've been under a lot of stress, particularly through COVID. Um, but, uh, you know, we have all of, you know, all the great supercars. I mean, so we've got, you know, McLaren and Lamborghini and Zinger and Hennessy and a lot of great, great cars. Um, but what I'd like to see is more of the OEMs uh, participate with us. And, and you know, it, it will come. It just takes time to get them totally involved. You have a goal. Uh, the goal for spectators walking away from this event, actually you have a couple of goals. One of them is they get the opportunity to look at cars that are in private collections, which of course everybody loves because they're oftentimes behind a, behind a door and, and, or, <laughs> or in a vault um, in the case of the uh, Peterson. But you also want them to walk away saying, I now understand the development, the technology, the history, and you want to create a fantastic experience. I have that right? Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, well, the way we thought about it from the very beginning is how do you how do you discuss the evolution of speed? Because I think everybody has some kind of interest. They have a car story back in their history somewhere. I mean, whether it was, you know, carpool in the neighbor's Mustang or whatever, there's everybody has a car story they remember. And they may not be a passionate, you know, car geeks like we all are, but they do have an interest in. And our goal here is to help educate everybody on, you know, the beginning of technology. And, and I always go back and I say, you know, a lot of people don't have as much interest in like 1930s cars anymore. But when you consider where the technology started from there, and even back then they were, they had magnesium blocks and because they were trying to figure out what lightweight metal could you use, they were supercharging cars in the thirties and running them on methanol. I mean, that's almost the same as when you think about a formula one car with carbon fiber and, uh, you know, hybrid, um, uh, and they're you know running these engines at you know, eighteen thousand RPM. So our goal is to show this this progression, but have it demonstrated with the real cars in period. We've had Gordon uh, McCall on the program as a guest. We had him in August, and he's a, a good friend of the show. He created something similar with the Quail, the motorsports gathering that's a part of Car Week, and of course you have Porsche, which created Rensport which returns to Laguna Seca in 2023 with a similar notion. So now you've got like the wine business, you got some competition, right? Yeah. You know, I, I don't really consider it. Well, first of all, Gordon uh, McCall, I mean, he, you know, he really kind of created a couple of the very, very original ideas to, to engage with the consumer, whether it was the jet center uh, event during car week mm -hmm. or creating the quail. And he's been very involved in motorcycles. And um, I, I think like him, we don't consider any of this competition. We consider this, how do we create environments where um, spectators will have an unbelievable time and sponsors can showcase uh, their wares. So we're, I, I think we're of like mind that there is plenty of opportunity uh, for consumers, spectators, sponsors, to upgrade the experience um, for the guest. Are you a keeper of car culture? When you say a keeper of car culture, 
are you a are you a um a an advocate uh, you're obviously an advocate but but are do you is it partly your role now to keep the flame of car culture burning bright yeah i think look i think everybody's worried about it right because yeah, as we move a lot into of talk we move into cars that don't make any noise uh <laughs> I, I I think I'm hopeful that uh, you know we're going to see synthetic fuels. We're going to see carbon neutral, uh, uh, maybe carbon neutral internal combustion engines uh, at some point. Um, but but I I will tell you I th when I think about the history of the car and the mobility it gives individuals wherever they are, they can be in the U.S. or Europe or Asia or India or wherever um, the the mobility of the automobile, I don't think will change. And I think that's one of the unique aspects. Now, some of the newer ones might not have as much sound, um, uh, but, you know, as somebody said there, you know, the first race was when the second car got built. Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, there's probably some truth to that. And, and, and I, not everybody's uh, going to, you know, take the bus. So uh, I, I, I think it's going to continue. I think I, I don't know that we all know what the future looks like uh, for cars. We know that obviously electrified vehicles are going to be very important uh, in the future, but I think we're going to see them race. We're going to see them compete. Um, and then we may even see, you know, as I said earlier, uh, internal combustion engines that are, you know, carbon neutral, which I think, you know, will be, a, you know, a milestone for the industry. And I, I know it's very early days to accomplish that, but, um, but I, but I think, I, I think the, you know, we all, I do want to keep the flame going, but I, I tell you, I don't think it's going to be difficult. Yeah. Honestly. And, and in fact, what's, what's interesting, Jeff, is that we could come to a point where these final internal combustion engine vehicles that are being produced right now become those 1930s and 1940s vehicles that you just referenced earlier. Yeah, that's a, uh, sure. That's uh, probably correct. Right. There's always going to be some kind of history here. And and as we continue to develop uh, technology, you know, I think people are going to continue to be surprised. Um, obviously, they're self-driving cars, but not everybody wants to probably ride around in a self-driving car. I mean, I get it that, you know, if you've, you know, it's late at night and you've been at one of our wineries, you know, at the self-driving car will be the perfect solution to get you home. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's well said. After the break, I'll continue my conversation with Velocity Invitational founder and California winemaker, Jeff O'Neill. And to see my interview with Jeff, go to the Cars and Culture YouTube channel. Like and subscribe to see some 70 episodes. The automobile is one of the most important inventions that revolutionized the modern world in America. The rich history of car culture runs deep as technology continues to shape the future of the industry. Jason Stein, former publisher of Automotive News, is here to share the stories of people passionate about cars, from industry leaders and innovators to car-obsessed celebrities. Buckle up as Jason takes you inside the boardroom, onto the track, and around the bend on Cars and Culture on Sirius XM Business Radio. Welcome back. I'm Jason Stein in Detroit. Now the continuation of my conversation with Velocity Invitational founder and California winemaker, Jeff O'Neill. And to see my interview with Jeff, go to the Cars and Culture YouTube channel. Like and subscribe to see some 70 episodes. Who attends Velocity who we might know from sort of mainstream, you know, um, uh, mainstream media or, uh, you know, more, more the stars with cars uh, section of the program? Well, you know, we, ha I, I guess I, I, I can't, I, 
I'm not a hundred percent sure if a lot of these great collectors that are there and, um, you know, we probably have five or seven of the greatest collectors in America there. Um, uh, so you have to come to find out who they are. Um, <laughs> Uh, but the folks that, of course, the stars that we do have coming, uh, uh, Zach Brown, of course, will be there uh, with a number of the most historic McLaren Formula One cars. Um, uh, they're going to actually have the the brand new Artura there mm. um, uh, that uh, I, I can't remember either a Mika Hakkinen will be driving it or uh, or Pato Award, who's their current F, uh, sorry, uh, Indy champion uh, or car driver um but we'll have uh some pretty exciting folks there mario andretti is coming um so he'll be it'll be fun to see him he'll be on the track um you know he's got an incredible following and uh, uh but beyond that the you know we attract a lot of great collectors because it's a place where they can bring their super rare cars uh and feel comfortable getting them on the track and what do you want the owners to take from this? I know I asked you what you want the spectators to take, but what do you want the owners to walk away with? We want the owners to walk away with the fact that they have a place to come and showcase these cars. Um, I mean, one, one of my mantras is you never actually own the car. The public owns these amazing cars. Mm -hmm. You just happen to be uh, the caretaker uh, during the interim. And and it just strikes me that there is an obligation to bring all of these cars back. It's a little bit like the art collector that, you know, that keeps the Picasso in his living room, but only invites his other friends to come and see it. You know, to me, that's just incredibly uh, selfish. And and uh, and I, I respect the privacy of a lot of the collectors, so we don't advertise who the cars all belong to. But we do put, we, we, we are... Uh, we don't hesitate to ask for specific cars, for specific programs uh, from collectors. And as you look to the future, how big can this event get? How, how, how much bigger can Velocity get? What, what are your goals and, and ambitions as it relates to it? <laughs> the simple one is to break even. That would be, <laughs> that would be the first place to start. Um, and you know, and we're well on the way to getting close. But I will tell you, Jason, it it has taken quite an investment to get here, and it's a hundred percent out of passion. I I don't know how big it can get. Um, I I think you know once we get more OEMs involved and and more sponsors, you know, it it theoretically will take on a a, a life of its own. Um, but you know, ultimately, you know, we'd love to see you know through the gate thirty, forty thousand. So mm. you know, and I think we can do that whether it's at Laguna Seca or uh, or at Sonoma Raceway. But uh, um, we've been asked to look at other venues around the country as well um, because nobody's yeah. really doing what we're doing. I guess that 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 leads me to another question: um, Why could it not happen in other parts of the country? It could. It totally. It totally could. Um, you know, it could happen in Detroit. It could happen mm -hmm. in, uh, in Montreal. It could happen in a lot of different places. Uh, I think we'd like it to 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 get enough scale here in the West uh, that we can go ahead and expand beyond that. And what's interesting too is that you're asking people to bring vehicles to your area at a time when you know the the historic season is is considered over. I mean, Monterey Car Week is is has sort of been the the bellwether uh, at a at a certain 
stage, but from the Midwest, the East Coast or or the West Coast, they're coming in and they're adding another event to the calendar. And that, to me, proves that there's a strong interest here because they're going out of their way to say, we want to show these incredible cars in a very safe and fun setting. Yeah, and we've gotten great support from a lot of collectors. And and when I say collectors, that doesn't mean that everybody has 200 cars in their collection. I mean, there is a number of amazing uh, car enthusiasts that have one or two amazing cars, uh, and they are more than willing to bring them out and share them. And And one of the things that we've done is give access to all the spectators, get a lot of access to the cars, the drivers, uh, and the owners, which is, I think is another unique element. One of the things you've said about this year's event, which I, I thought was kind of uh, funny and interesting, you said... Uh, when asked what makes for a successful show this year, you said more wine, more food, and more picket fencing. <laughs> right. So, so right. you've got more of all three. Do, is, do I have this that year? Track? We've got more. We've got more cars, more picket fence, more lawn. Uh, absolutely, and more yeah. wine, more wine, and, and, and more wine. What's in your own personal collection right now? Let's talk about yours for a minute. What do you What do you hold right now? Uh, you know, I'm kind of a Maserati guy, so I've got a uh, the 250F, which I bought. Uh, that was my my very first car. Then yep. I I've I, I lusted over the Maserati Birdcage, um, uh, 1960s. So I've uh, I've added that um, to the collection. Um, I've got another Maserati that's under restoration. It's it's a 350S. Um, but I'm a little bit eclectic. I've got a uh, 19. I always I I used to go to the Trans Am races, so. I've got uh, the 1969 Parnelli Jones Boss Trans Am car. Um, and then I actually have got something even more current. Um, since since I couldn't get it, they wouldn't put me on the list for the new Ford GT <laughs> supercar. Um, so I, I got an opportunity to buy one of the uh, five Le Mans 2016 mm. uh, Ford GTs. So... Wow. I've got the Ford GT from uh, uh, that Ford took to uh, Le Mans uh, in 2016. It took uh, second place. Wow! You still have that original Formula One car? I do. I do. I still race it. It stays mostly in Europe. Uh, we hope to get a grid here uh, in 2023, where most of those Formula One cars from the mid 1950s they all seem to be in in Europe, and so our our hope is that we can entice a number of the collectors in Europe to uh, come to our event and put together a, a world-class grid here in America. Well, you're certainly hitting at the right time. I don't need to tell you of the popularity of Formula One now in America as it continues to skyrocket. And Austin is upon us here shortly and Las Vegas next year and perhaps a trip. Uh, there's talk of New York as well. It's got to be amazing to you. You're, you're, a, you're an F1 guy, I assume. Well, I love F1. I mean, it's just been it's been amazing. And of course, getting to know Zach and and then we had the Mercedes team here in 2019. Um, just a fantastic uh, group. But what's I, I think one of the most impressive things about these Formula One cars, probably from call it the, you know, the 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 turbo era on. I mean, just maintaining and running these cars <laughs> It's, it takes four or five people for every car. I mean, it's really staggering. Um, and I think the spectators uh, love seeing that and being able to be close to it. Um, 
has been very unique. And I think it's going to be a hallmark of velocity into the future where people get to up, they get to see these cars up close. I mean, honestly, if you go to a Formula One race, you really are pretty far away. You can't get close to the cars. It's very difficult to see, you know, how amazing they are and the technology. So I think, you know, one of our goals, uh, you know, is to continue to educate. And, uh, and I think the, the, call it the renaissance in the U.S. of Formula One. I mean, when you think about it, that sport is, I mean, it's crazy in Europe and Brazil and Argentina and Australia and everywhere else. And the U.S. is just kind of getting warmed up to Formula One. Um, but I think it's pretty exciting and the future is going to be amazing. Yeah, we had Stefano DeMonicali on this program as well. And Zach was our first guest on the show. Uh, it's amazing to see the passion around all of it. And I think Rush... The movie Rush and Drive to Survive both both uh, would would heavily contribute to what we're seeing now in this in this day and age. And as it relates to Rush, I mean, those are kind of the vehicles that you're talking about when you talk about those vintage Formula One cars. And people forget that at that time, the technology was so far advanced for the era. You look back now and you go, wow, those cars seem awfully simplistic relative to what we have today. But no. That, you know, it, taken in context, they were just as significant as as they are now. Yeah, no, it's amazing when you think about the advancements in technology. And I think, you know, some people look at racing and they say, well, doesn't that seem like a waste of time to to burn all that petrol on a on a racetrack? The reality is the reason cars today are so efficient is all of this all of this, whether it was, you know, energy recovery with brake systems or carbon fiber, that was all created um, in, for the most part, through uh, auto racing. And I think we're going to continue to see that development. W where the electric piece of that goes in the future, whether people want to go to a race and you can't hear anything, you know, at, at, it will remain to be seen. Um, but, you know, and noise is part of uh, automotive history. So, you know, you asked the question earlier, you know, what's the future look like with electric cars and elect, you know, and, and the racing, you know, I, I don't know, I don't know, but I, you know, I think it's going to evolve and maybe it's, you know, you have all these young people with, you know, that I can't get the iPhone out of their hand. Um, maybe they will appreciate that the races don't have to have noise. So we'll, we'll see where that goes in the long term. I have two final things for you, Jeff, and then we'll let you get back to the business of running the Velocity Invitational, which you are the busiest <laughs> man in show business right now. But uh, two things. What's the future of car culture? You know, again, I, I, I think it's going to be fantastic. Um, you look at the cars that are being developed, um, whether it's supercars, um, the technology, uh, electric, not electric, um, I just think there's going to continue to be this amazing following. Um, and one of our goals, quite honestly, is to make sure when a young person comes, and I'm, when I say young, I mean between the, call it the ages of eight and, you know, 20, um, we want to make sure they get to see how much history is here and that it's not just another old car sitting over there. Um, I want them, I want everybody to understand how how we got to where we are today. And so I, I just think uh, car culture is going to continue to be such an important element of of a, a lot of people's uh, being. And 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 the fact that um, you know there's this evolution to electric and autonomous and what have you, it, it's all going to be part of it. 
but I, I think, uh, you know, when you look at the, uh, you know, Jay Leno and, you know, all the folks that have car shows, I'm, I mean, there's this amazing following. And I think I said it earlier, everybody has a car story, whether you're, you know, the mother driving the carpool or, or the kid that remembers the next door neighbor that had the hot rod or what have you. So I think it's here to stay. And the one thing cars give everybody is personal mobility to go anywhere. The Velocity Autonomous Invitational will be interesting when it occurs. <laughs> well, I can't wait. We've been working on that one because I, I do, I, we, you know, hopefully I want to see, I want to see the, we, we hope to have a race with an autonomous car and a, uh, a um, mm. uh, analog with a driver. Uh, but but uh, so we want to have the digital versus the analog and uh, I'm I'm hoping we can actually get there. Uh, we're not quite there yet, but uh, but we've talked to a few folks, so we're we're optimistic that we can uh, we can have an autonomous race at some point. I was at Nissan's headquarters in Nashville, Tennessee, recently, and drove the road rather road around in the Aria in its autonomous Pro Pilot 2.0 um, feature, which it's an electric vehicle that drives itself on the Tennessee freeways. It's a different experience, Jeff. I'll tell you that. Um, That's what second, I've heard. That's what I've heard. My second question is, uh, I asked you about the future of car culture. What's the future of wine culture? Well, it, it, that business has been around for 8,000 years. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, it's we're, our industry uh, is not without its challenges. Um, but I think like uh, fine cars, people love... Um, uh, improving whatever, whether it's a car or wine or food, uh, you know, I think the the future is bright. I mean, the you know, people are always challenged to to you know how to how to what, what's the next great wine, what's the next great car, what made it better, whether it was the the grapes, the winemaker, the packaging, what have you. So I I think uh, you know all of these industries are somewhat aligned. Um, uh, people continue to, they remain uh, aspirational. Um, you know, if you can't buy that car today, come see it because someday you will be able to buy it. I had, mm -hmm. when I was a kid, I had all the, you know, I looked at all these cars. I never thought I would actually be able to own one of them and not only be able to own it, but be able to drive it and race it has just been extraordinary. Jeff O'Neill is running one of the hottest events of the year, the Velocity Invitational at Laguna Seca in California, um, and he will have plenty of wine. He has plenty of wine and food and fences, white fences, and he's got a lot of cars. Thank you for being on Cars and Culture. Thank you, Jason. Appreciate it. Thanks again to Velocity Invitational founder and California winemaker Jeff O'Neill for being my guest today. And to see my interview with Jeff, go to the Cars and Culture YouTube channel. Like and subscribe to see some 70 episodes. And thanks for listening to Cars and Culture. You can follow us on LinkedIn and Facebook, as well as on Instagram at Cars and Culture SXM and on Twitter at Cars and Culture. I'm Jason Stein in Detroit. We'll see you down the road.